for years, Danny Kane Top has woken up every morning, gotten dressed, had a bite to eat, kissed his wife and kids, and headed off to a garage in LA, often not coming out until long after the sun had set. For Danny, though, this garage isn't just a garage. It's a bit of a creative temple, an innovative workshop where he spends his days handcrafting some of the most breathtakingly beautiful and sought-after archtop jazz hollow-body electric guitars on the planet. He literally just loses time there. But it hasn't always been this way. Danny grew up in Chicago, started taking guitar lessons when he was seven, and fell in love with everything about the instrument. But it was an experience with his dad, an architect, that changed everything. When he was 14, Danny went to the library, found books on guitar building, ran home, and turned the basement closet into a small workshop. That was where, with the help of his dad, he made his first guitar. Tragically and suddenly, Danny's dad passed shortly after. But this shared experience led to a passion that became Danny's life work. And over time, also became a way for Danny to keep spending time with his dad a little bit every day in that garage together. In today's conversation, we explore Danny's moving journey, the struggles, the awakenings, failures, innovations, and relentless commitment to artistry, to expression, to service and growth that has fueled his story. So excited to share it with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to paint the scene a little bit. This is a little bit different than our normal conversations, which generally happen in our studio in New York City. This is part of what we're calling the LA sessions. So um, to our friendly listeners, 
we are right now in the guitar building workshop of Danny Kane Top. It's in Southern California. We're in a room that's sort of garage size plus everywhere I look. There are raw slabs of wood. There are guitars in various state of manufacture from super wrought and nearly finished kind of hanging there. Clamps, tools, saws. And of course, Danny's sitting across from me, <laughs> smiling. And uh, the minute we opened the door, I walked in and, and I was struck by the aroma, which is like this blend of sawdust, wood glue, and something that is almost like spiritual. That's just kind of blended with it to make this aromatic cocktail that kind of hits you and you're like, yeah. I need to do more of that. <sighs> right? <laughs> so this has been your devotion, your craft, your living for a lot of years now. What's amazing to me is that as we sit here, you're, um, you've, you've got, you've built guitars for some of the most incredible players in the world. Um, you built this incredible career doing this thing that fills you, nourishes you in so many different ways. And the seed for this was planted when you were a really little kid, basically. Yeah. Where does that start to show up? You know, I've thought about that many, many times about, you know, how far it goes back. I have a, a two-year-old son and he walks around with a blankie. And I did that growing up and I went everywhere with that. And I think I was always dependent on an object or something. It was like my source of security. And later on, when I kind of, when I was like seven or eight, I felt that in the guitar. Like when I first heard the guitar, it was like, oh my God, like that just was like this overall sense of comfort for me. And I think throughout my life, the things that I've been doing they weren't really about the guitar, but because it was like that object of security for me, like that was always what I was like unconsciously going for or supporting whether I knew it or not. So I was doing all sorts of things as anybody does growing up, but the guitar was always like a source of comfort for me. It's like an identity, hmm. maybe. Do you recall the first time you heard you heard it? Yeah, I was driving. Um I, was, I remember it was like my, the back of my mom's Toyota Celica and we were driving, maybe it was like after school or something, and the sound of a nylon string guitar came on the radio. And I think it was Otmar Liebert, who was like this very smooth jazz type of player who, you know, maybe that was like his time of shine and then nobody ever heard of him after that. And I, that sound just like stuck with me. I was like, mom, what is that? You know, like. I want to do that. And I think I kept bugging her because that's what I did. You know, I was very <laughs> determined. I was a very determined kid to do whatever I had my mindset to. And I was like, I, I, that sound is, I, I didn't know that it was the guitar, but there's something about that sound that I heard that just really impacted me. Um, and she's like, well, if we're going to do this, you know, if we, if I do lessons and, and buy you a, uh, the student level guitar or whatever, like you have to follow through, you know, like she wanted to make sure that it was something I definitely wanted to do and not just like a passing. But yeah, as a kid, I was always into building things. Mm. So my mom's a painter. 
And as long as I can remember, her studio was in the attic and my dad was an architect. And so I have these two halves of art and design and engineering and building, like kind of already ingrained in my childhood. So I was always, you know, like school projects for me, if they involved craft, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to like kill this. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> And I love doing that, like just spending time on my mom's studio floor. And then I remember my dad, you know, like we would spend our summers in Michigan and he would work and then take the train, like the South Bend train, I think, from Chicago to to Michigan. And being that it was like a small cabin in the woods, it was always kind of needing help because nobody would take care of it. So you'd show up and it's like... Put the tool belt on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it was like us kids, we would be having fun, but my dad would show up and like, you know, get to work. And so like early in the morning, we would wake up and he'd be an early riser and I would get up too. And I would, you know, see him like sketching out a, a plan, whether it was like for repairing the deck or building a new part of the dock that needed to be rebuilt. And then he would, you know, draw out like a parts list, a cut, a cut list, and then go to the lumber store. And of course, I was a daddy's boy, you know, I had to follow him. And, uh, you know, seeing that, that process of like from a, a napkin sketch to the store, to like a pile of wood, to a handsaw, to like a deck that was like, oh my God, like that. And that was really young for me when I when all that happened. So, of course, that was like defined who I am yeah, in a way. And also, it sounds like it showed you, it gave you this sense of of possibility where it's sort of like, okay, so something needs to exist that doesn't exist or something needs to be fixed that, you know, is broken. Um, we'll just figure out how to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, that you can you can actually start from this place of having an idea and make your plan, make your piece, like get, and just slowly like take care of it. Like there was a process to take an idea to an actual thing. Definitely. And the process wasn't like, I'm going to go on YouTube and find out how this is. This was like, okay, I'm going to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and like, we're going to design the solution to it. And yeah, and I th that was like the time, like that's what you did. And you, and you did it with like, a handsaw and hammer and nails, you know? Um, now it's just so crazy. And uh, I mean, I think I'm fortunate to have grown up in, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Before all the, uh, yeah, sort of like digital instruction hit and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really helped define me and who I am is like that particular time. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting point because I think now, like you said, you know, I think so many people, if they want to learn how to build something or make something or fix something, first place they go is online. Let me watch a video. Let me check out a tutorial, which is awesome. It is. If all you want to do is get to the outcome, right? But if you actually, if part of your, if part of the thing that drives you is the process of getting there and the joy and the brutality and the struggle and the suffering and the elation of actually figuring it out, it's not necessarily the best thing, actually. There's there's so much information. It's like you you look at one thing, you search on one thing, and it's just like pages and pages and pages of information. Some of it's great information. Some of it's you know not so good information. And how do you how do you learn to filter all of that if you know nothing about it? So if you could have like a mentor, 
you know, like, and I feel like for crafting things, my dad was initially that mentor and my mom was the more artistic side of things. So she was also my other mentor, but it was like this perfect blend of both sides and guitar making is really the uniting of art and engineering and so many other things. And I think that's one reason why I'm just so engulfed by the power of guitar making because it's just so many levels of it's art and it's engineering. And so many people say this, but there's like, I think there's so much mysticism in it. Um, you know, like I strive to really study and get to know my clients on a deep level because I feel like the energy that I get from that individual changes how I work. Um, so I'm not just doing the same thing over and over again. And I don't, I can't define why that happens. Like even a client who comes to me and they don't really know the specifics of what they're after in terms of the technicality of, you know, specifications, but just by understanding um, what makes them smile or, you know, the simple things that just make them who they are, like that is what I love to, to work with and understand because that totally changes the process for me. And like I said, I don't know why and how that happens. It's just like beautiful. Is that an intentional thing for you at this point? Or do you just notice that in you know, like a hundred little ways or something that's happening slightly different as you go through the process of creating this instrument for someone? I kind of hunt it out because it gives me confidence. Mm. The deeper I know somebody, the more confident I am that I'm going to just nail the instrument and it's going to be, you know, this person's best friend and it's going to grow with them and it's going to inspire them. If there's some kind of block that's put up between me and the client, I often find that I'm kind of, I don't want to say guessing, but sometimes maybe I'm making an instrument that's more for myself because I'm, I go back on that, like, what would I do for myself to make a great instrument? And that's led me, I mean, I've made some great instruments going that route too, but so I, I think it happens naturally, you know, like when somebody calls me and we start talking, I'll talk to a person for days before they're like, okay, I want to do this. And I think that's like a very natural way of, you know, not to sound business-like, but obtaining the right kind of client that I have. I mean, I do talk to a lot of people that things don't work out. And sometimes I think it's, I'm grateful for that because it, you know, it wouldn't have been a good situation. Yeah. I, I love that you described it also as in, in some way mystical. It's funny because as I was driving over here this morning, I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, there, there are in my perception, in, in the process of being a maker, there's sort of like these three levels. There's the mechanic level, where you're essentially studying what everyone else has done, and you're memorizing it, and you're stealing like an artist, and you're sort of like, you're, it's a lot of replication and duplication, yeah. but you get really good at the steps. So you can create an instrument that is really solid. Mm-hmm. you know. And then there's the master level, where it's about, okay, so now you're actually starting to re-engineer and redesign based on what you're seeing and your own ideas, you're sort of like recreating the process based on now years of accumulated experience and wisdom. And it becomes much more yours and, and almost a a bit less conscious and more sort of like you just sort of in it. And then there are those. You just gave me the chills. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you about that in a second. Um, And then there are these moments where it rises to the level of mystical experience where you become 
complete like you as a as a separate being become momentarily sometimes lost in just lost in in the pursuit in the in the process in the experience and then part of that when you you know you're actually also creating this for someone else is it becomes about something bigger too so what you're describing is 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 kind of to a certain extent, I hope validating what was spinning in my head as I was coming yeah. over here through, through my own process of, of making over, you know, like five decades. Yeah, it's that. I mean, what you said is the definition of what happens in here on a daily basis. I mean, I like to kind of work with low light because you tend to see more with like one light source. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big workshop, but like most of my days, if I'm in here, you know, I mean, I have two young kids, so I'm not in here eight hours a day, but I, you know, I try to be the amount of flow, the timeless flow that happens because there's so many aspects of building a guitar where, you know, let's say I'm carving a top and that can take me, you know, if I'm working eight hours a day, it can take four days of just carving. And the only way to do it is like sitting over it and carving it. And so there's so much time that goes by. Sometimes you need to listen to music to get out of your head. And then sometimes you look up and you're like, it's been an hour. Like, what? Ha- where did that go? But you look down and you're like, I just took this from point A to point B. And that's what it's about. It's getting yourself into that, that flow state. And I think that's where a lot of the mysticism happens. And that's why I think the deeper you know somebody that stuff comes out whether you're intending it to or not. Sure, it comes out in the beginning when you're like picking materials and kind of designing the voice, but it's all of those subtleties. It's all about the subtleties. It's the little things that I think make it special and make it human. Like I think a really great instrument grows and absorbs and changes as somebody plays it. You could have two identical instruments, which is impossible because no two pieces of wood are the same, and have put a guitar into, say, a classical player's hands and then put another the other guitar into, let's say, like a heavy metal guitar player's hands and get those two instruments back in a couple months and they'll sound totally different because mm-hmm. they've absorbed just the style and you know they get used to vibrating a certain way. And so the better the instrument, the more capable they are to absorbing what's put into them. So that's just, you know, that just furthers the kind of the, the awesomeness of, of working for people on that kind of level. Because you, if you do it right, you can really change somebody's life and change the pursuit of their musical career. Or their couch playing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I think what's so awesome about it also is that, um, and for everybody around them who hears what they, what they offer, you know, so whether they're playing a concert at a venue, whether they're sitting in a living room with a bunch of old friends, you know, I love the fact that what you create has a series of ripples that go out into the world, some large and local and, and you know, and just thousands of people, some very intimate, but always you know, meaningful in so many ways. And I think, um, you know, and, and a lot of this, you know, there's a, it, it's interesting because there's the building side, which I still want to talk more about, but there is also, I mean, you're also a musician. You yeah, know? I'd, be, I'd be very careful. With those words. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is a fascination of mine because, yeah. um, like, as you know, I've, 
I've had a lifelong fascination with guitar and with building guitar. I'm a terrible player, but there's something about the form that I just found so aesthetically like sultry and gorgeous and amazing that I had this thing mm. that I wanted to learn how to build it. Even though I pick up now the guitar that I eventually built and I, and by the I, way, that guitar sounds great. Oh, cause I hear it all the time. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who don't know, it's actually the guitar that is being played on the, the lead in and the lead out on the, uh, on the podcast these days, not by me, by, by a dear friend who's amazing. But the guitar um, sounds killer. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But it's interesting because I can't make the guitar that I built with my own hands sound the way that I would love it to sound. But nobody could make your guitar sound the way that you make it sound. True. So True. much of it is in the, you know, the hands of the player. You know, I get a lot of people who, over the course of being in this business, and I think more in Chicago, because in Chicago there was this closeness of community, and, so, and I did repair work, so I'd get a lot of people in, and... Some people would come in, young people, and say, I want to sound more like this person. I want to sound, you know. And, of course, you, you try to help them and do what needs to be done. But it's in the hands. Like, it, it doesn't matter what guitar you play, you know. Like, you can play classical music on an electric guitar. You can play jazz on a guitar you find in the alley. You know, if you do the right things and get it to play, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's all in your hands. And you listen to the great players and you see it all the time. You see players who, like players that I listen to now, they'll play, you know, different guitars at different times, but they sound the same. It doesn't really matter what they're playing. Sure, the tone is kind of colored by whatever instrument they're playing, but it's still the sound of them, you know? And you hear it on the radio, like the great players that come on, you're like, oh, that's Kenny Burrell. That's yeah. Frederick Hand. That's Because right. instantly, like one note, it's like, that's the human. Yeah, I'll buy that. <laughs> I'll buy that. And I think we, like, we saw that also because in, in the studio back in New York, we have that guitar that I made hanging. And we did a month earlier last year where we had a whole bunch of players come through and they played at the end of our conversation. And um, That's great. To the one, they brought their own guitars with them, but they ended up picking up the guitar that I made, and play, which blew me away in the first <laughs> place because I'm like, Please don't do that. Like you need something better to honor like who you are and which, what you bring to this. And they're like, no, that looks good, man. Let me play it. And, um, but sure enough, you know, it is, it is the soul of the player in their hands that come like you know, that, that really bring the magic. And still there is something. So, so let me challenge you on this a little bit <laughs> because it's maybe because it's a curiosity of mine. Yeah. Years ago, I read a book, um, I think by Noah St. John about this other builder who you know Wayne Henderson has been building for generations. Sure. And um he was writing about how this guy would make everybody wait 10 years for a guitar, including Eric Clapton when he wanted one. And um he interviewed another builder and he was like, "Well, what what is it that makes an instrument extraordinary?" And I'm blanking on the name of the other guy, TJ something maybe. Thompson. Um, maybe. And his answer was something like it's the heart of the builder. You can feel it through the instrument. Like you can feel the builder's soul through the instrument. Yeah. Do you believe that? I 100% believe it. It's it's the power. You can relate it to so many things, right? You can relate it to chefs. You can relate it to painters. So it takes a lot of things to make a great instrument because at the end of the day, the guitar is a tool, right? So it has to perform and has to do certain things at a high level. 
the classical guitar world is is very on point with that because you know you you hand the classical guitar let's say you make i'm going to try not to get too far away from this topic but let's say you make a classical guitar and you take it to a player uh, a, a well-known player they're going to play it without looking at the instrument and they're going to tell you if there's a string that's not singing like the others or it's not balanced or you know the last thing they're going to do let's just say if they really like the tone of the guitar then they'll turn it around and look at it and start asking questions about the construction and its beauty but for them it's about sound and playability so that's that's a huge thing but the human side of things is because you're working on this object for so long you know you have to be careful because there's so many guitar makers out there these days and i think that point of building where somebody is making a concert level instrument let's just say that we're talking about a concert level instrument like your your soul you're you're committed to this object bringing it from raw wood like the wood has to be has to be good wood it has to be musical wood to begin with sure you can make a great guitar out of you know not so great pieces of wood but the the more i think the more special the ingredients are and the more you respect them throughout the process the end result is it's it's going to encompass everything it's going to encompass the conversations that you've had it's going to encompass that builder's life because whatever they do is a representation of of their experience of life and you're building this living thing so that sense of like that person's life is is in that piece of work you know like van gogh like you look at his work and his work is just it's mesmerizing the more you look at it it's powerful and you can kind of see the hardship he had in the way that his brush strokes were his 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 manicness but that's also what makes it so great and so i i find that when i look at somebody's work and i can see the and i'm talking about guitars here i can see the depth of the person of the maker in that instrument i have a response for that and it's 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 deep it's if I can look at an instrument from a builder and hear it in my head, that's a very cool thing. And what's even cooler is if I can look at an instrument and I'm like, eh, I, I don't understand it. And then I pick it up and it's something totally different. And it's like, and it works. Then it just screws with my head. I'm like, okay, why, why, what's going on here? Like, why does this work? And what am I not understanding? And then the questions start going and then I start questioning my own work and, but it is deep i you know it it has to on a human level i think if you're doing any project where you're spending all these hours and time committed to one thing from birth to completion and then it continues to live without you like there has to be some sort of i know it sounds weird but like there's some energy going on there <laughs> it does sound weird and i and i completely agree with you and get it. There's like a juju that gets built into the guitar. Def definitely you know? juju. <laughs> and and it's and you can I agree. I feel like you can you can feel it and it blends with and dances with the juju that the player then infuses with it over a period of months and years. Yeah. Um and it's never entirely one person's or the other person's. It's like this perpetual dance. What's fascinating to me about this is also that so you're creating something that will in all likelihood or has the potential to live beyond your lifespan 
beyond the original person who commissioned this and said, I want you to create this for me, beyond their lifespan, maybe many generations of lifespan. So you're creating something that is the like a deep expression of your your soul, your artistry, um, your essence that goes out into the world and um, has this ability to just keep getting passed on from generation to generation to generation. There's a little bit of immortality built into that. There is. I tr- you know, your, your look is like, dude, that's too trippy. I, I can't even go there. <laughs> but th- of course you think about that. Like yeah. that's part of like one of the kickers of, of being so inspired by, uh, you know, there's so much gratification in this work because your hope is to always make an instrument that's just glorious, you know? And to the point where when you're finished an instrument, for me, there's always a point in the process where it's no longer mine. It becomes somebody else's. And that usually takes place when I, I put the neck on the guitar and it's, it's kind of coming together. And then I'm like just filling a role to like, you know, pass it on. But that sense of immortality do, does creep in, but that's just adds to the gratification of, of the work. It's like, okay, this is, it's just awesome. It's really awesome. And then the other thing is, is okay, now this is done. How can I do it better? And like, how can I, so this ongoing, it just never seems to like not be gratifying because as you go forth, there are always things that you're questioning and new things come up or you see a guitar that you did like 10 years ago and you're like, man, that sounds good. Okay. That worked out better than I thought it did. And, you know, it's just, it's very gratifying. There's this, you know, you mentioned something um, a minute ago about getting back to like the, the human touch in it and the absorption of other people and all that. I made a guitar for Bobby Broom. He's a Chicago jazz guitarist. And I made him a guitar and I saw it a couple of years later. I had, he brought it in for me to do some work on and I pulled it out of the case and it still had strings on it when I got it and I played it and I called him on the phone. I was like, Bobby, like this guitar sounds like you. Like, <laughs> like I, I didn't really like that hasn't happened a lot to me where I've experienced that feeling, but no joke, the sound that I know Bobby from recordings and listening to him, because I listened to Bobby when I was a kid. I went to the Green Mill as a kid with my mom to hear Bobby. That sound was in the guitar. I was like, oh my God, Like that was a life-changing experience for me. And that's something that I, I didn't physically say, hey, I'm going to make this guitar. So it's going to, I did do that. I did things to make it work for Bobby, but not like that. <laughs> that was a cool moment. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lumi. So listen, we have all had those awkward moments where a BO strikes at the worst possible time. I'm often actually out in nature when I'm exercising, so I don't even notice it when I'm out. And then I walk in the door, kind of start to wrinkle my nose. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually me. That is why I'm so thankful I discovered Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. This revolutionary product, it was actually invented by an OBGYN who wanted a solution for her patients struggling with private odor. But Lumi doesn't just work, quote, down there. It provides incredible 72-hour protection for your entire body using mandelic acid. I kid you not, this stuff is a game changer. Lumi is safe and effective for pits, for feet, you name it. And as someone who's tried it, I can attest that it seriously works. The fresh scents are just an added bonus. So if you're ready to say goodbye to BO for good, try Lumi's starter pack. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash, and deodorant wipes and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with the code GOODLIFE at lumideodorant.com. Don't miss your chance to experience the relief of true full body freshness. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com or just click the link in the show notes and use the code GOODLIFE. Good Life Project is sponsored by Quince. So my wife actually originally introduced me to Quince because she loves their clothing and I have been hooked ever since. I literally lived in their Mongolian cashmere rib beanie and pullover hoodie pretty much all winter. And as the weather warms up, I wanted more breathable summer pieces without overpaying. And Quince has just the super high quality items like linen shirts, performance polos, activewear at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman to pass savings to customers. Actually just ordered a new European linen long sleeve button down shirt. Super excited to get that. And I'm always just so amazed at how they can keep their prices so affordable while the quality remains really high. So if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, I highly recommend you try Quince. Go to quince.com slash GLP for free shipping on your order and a 365-day return. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash G-L-P to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash G-L-P or just click the link in the show notes. Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. We're sitting here talking about um, all sort of the nuanced stuff. Probably makes sense to take a step back in time also because I'm guessing... Some people are like, how does 37-year-old guy from Chicago end up becoming this master guitar builder living in L.A.? Um, like, what's, what is the path to that in a day where it seems especially like working with your hands, artistry, a devotion, a, a decades-long devotion to craft and making is something that is either going away or going digital? So let's take a step back in yeah. time. Like we talked about the fact that really early, seven, eight years old, you get exposed to just the idea of the guitar and taking lessons and being a player. At some point, I guess it was not too long after that, um, a couple of years after that, you started to 
where does the curiosity drop where you're like, I want to make one of these. I mean, we know your mom, your mom's an artist and your dad is an architect. So you're sort of, you have this, you have the resources swirling around you to help figure it out. But when does that switch flip? It's, it came about, um, so I I was always a player. Like I, I started like the first, I don't know, like I kind of studied guitar up to into my twenties and during high school, so I was playing from, I think I started taking lessons when I was seven and I quit for a couple of years. I had terrible performance anxiety. So during high school, Maggie Daly, the wife to mayor, mayor right. there was a block downtown that was just vacant. And instead of building something, which it's all built up now, but at the time she devoted that as to a program called Gallery 37. So they employed uh, high school students and paid them minimum wage to do anything art related. So they had mural painting, furniture painting, music, performance, dance, you know, it was, it was acting, it was amazing, writing, it was amazing. So for two years, I did painting. I did, I painted benches, like city benches mm. with like art and murals. And my brother, and he started playing drums around the same time as me. I, I, it was kind of simultaneously. And my brother went on to become like a really great jazz percussionist. And that really did like help push me and he introduced me to jazz. So while I was doing painting, he was doing the big Latin jazz band. And I was like, oh my God, I just want to do that. And I was, my chops weren't good enough. And so after I did, so that was like when I was a junior, I did the Latin band. And that was like my in. And then when I did that, I was, I kind of went back. I was like, throughout this time, I knew I wanted to learn more about the guitar. Like my mind was taking it apart. Like, you know. I was already studying the parts in my head, even though I didn't know what I was doing. My mind was already there. It's like the maker in you is not, it's just kind of like teasing you almost like, hmm, totally. how does this work? <laughs> you know, exactly. And I was also like, I was kind of like thinking about money too. Like, and that was part of me. Like, cause you know, there were things that I liked and I knew that if I wanted them, like my mom was like, if you want something, you need to figure out how to pay for it and get it. And so I had this idea of I could paint guitars because I I knew my painting chops were up and I could paint guitars and sell them. And this was a time before, like, I think a lot of the, it was before, it was kind of before eBay and like a lot of things. It was on the verge of that. So I was like, I can make money doing this. Uh, So I kind of researched it and uh, my dad was kind of interested in it too. So we had ordered catalogs and, and the more I dug deeper, the more I kind of fell in love with, instead of ordering these parts, I, I can, I can make the parts like, and then I can paint it. And I went downtown to the, the library and they had a shelf full of books on guitar making. And I got every single one of them. And I just like went home and just totally absorbed all the information. Were you some, I'm curious, were you somebody who before that point, like, in any other sort of like academic topic, you would have just gotten every book on the subject and devoured them, or was this unusual for you? It's kind of unusual for me. Yeah. I think if it was something that I was interested in, then I would have. Like I was very much into science, but you know, I'm, I've never been a big book person. Right, but there was something about this where you're like, 
anything I can read, I'm going to read. Yeah, yeah. Like, cover, like I'll sleep with the books. Like, I'll know this book from start to finish. And that kind of was the entry point into starting the first guitar with my dad. And we kind of did it together. Um, my neighbor uh, was a toy designer. And he had, like, a mill in his basement and a lathe and, like, all these tools. So we turned this like small closet in my basement into a, like a little workshop. We built a small bench and between like that tiny closet and my neighbor's like mill machine, me and my dad like put together our first guitar. And, uh, that was, that was it. How, how long did that take you to sort of, cause you're sort of experimenting and figuring out and learning along the way. It's hard for me to think about the amount of time it took. I, we built like a semi-hollow guitar with and had pickups and I didn't know anything about electronics. I was kind of scared at that point, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, so I took it to a shop and that I remember really clearly because when I took it there with my dad, the guy who was working at the shop was just like, oh my God, you made this? Like he was really impressed and the, that made me feel really good. And I was 15. So, and so right when I got the guitar back, like my dad, um, my dad passed away. Um, and that like, you know, that to me was like the chapter of my life where it was my life before and my life after. And that, that guitar was like, you know, the thing that was the tying thing between the past and what happened then. Cause literally I think it was the day before I got it back. Um, he passed away and it's hard for me now to put time together. Like my dad's passing really like, I think clouds my time judgment. Like it's hard for me to remember like how much time did that take or when did this happen? Cause it was such like a, a life changing event for me. And that, that happened in 2000 and I was a junior in high school. So I think for the next 10 years, I was just like an angry kid who didn't really know what to do. Was, I mean, clearly that was, you know, you go through this experience where you, you know, you work with your dad, you know, like side by side, hand in hand for what I'm guessing was probably weeks, if not months to create this one first yeah. thing, um, which must've been just a beautiful experience to start with and then create something which is kind of stunning. And then almost immediately after to lose him abruptly, I think people re can respond to that in so many different ways, but um, because he and your time with him were so closely associated with what had just unfolded. Um, I almost wonder if you experienced the idea of stepping back into the workshop to continue to build more of these. On the one hand, you could see that as I'll never do this again because I can never match sort of like that one unique experience I had with him. Um, on the other hand, you, you might frame it as, but it's like every time I step back into the workshop and work on something, it's like he's with me again. Yeah. And that's exactly how I went with it. And I don't think I knew that's what I was doing, but that's what I did. Like I, I just dove in. Definitely there was some time there where I didn't really know what was happening. Um, I was trying to figure things out, but my comfort was in working in a shop, working in the basement that whether I, I knew it or not, that's where I felt the comfort of it. And that's where I continue to feel the connection, you know, with my dad. <laughs> I don't want to sound weird, but 
there's definitely been weird things that I've experienced where it's like, I know I, not only do I know that he's like extremely proud of what I'm doing, but I feel his presence. I feel there's been times where I ask my dad for help and like, I'll leave the shop and I'll come back the next day and things will be, things will be good. And I mean, that's, that gives me the chills. <laughs> I'm constantly asking my dad for help. You know, I really believe that before he died, he told my mom that he wanted to quit his job and work on guitars with me. And I didn't know that till a long time after. I, I don't know, like, you know, it's, we don't talk about things as much as we should. And so this came up, I was like, really? He said that? And that kind of just was like, of course he said, like, that makes total sense. And and then as soon as I knew that, that was just like very empowering for me to, he to hear. And I know that if he were here, we, we would be doing this together. But I'm also grateful. People ask me, you know, if you went back and could change things, would you? And it's like, I wouldn't because my instruments are that experience. It's what I've went through. I don't think I'd be here right now with what I do and who I am without that experience. I mean, that, that really, like, if there's one thing that really defines my life, like, unfortunately, it's kind of the, it's that moment. And that led me down, I think, deeper into the guitar making process. It led me into the violin world further into like searching for more. And at the same time, I was still always questioning it was a very difficult time. Like my twenties after my dad died, I was depressed. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was doing guitar performance. I still was very deep in the instrument and learning about the instrument, but I wasn't actively, I didn't have a business banking guitars. So I did guitar performance. That was a whole nightmare because I'm not a, I'm not a performer, <laughs> but I got to study with a world renowned guitar player at, at SUNY at Purchase. And I was there for almost two years studying classical guitar. And so I got to study these, just get to be around the most amazing instruments, hearing the most amazing musicians play them like in my face and making me cry. From that, I came back to Chicago because it was a very dark place for me. Um, and I took some time off. Dark because you were still processing what happened with your dad or just for other reasons? Yeah. I mean, it was... It was everything. It, it was, I was processing what was going on because that was still really fresh. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was an art school in the middle of nowhere with, with New York state troopers, you know, busting us for, you know, smoking pot and getting in trouble. So all my friends got kicked out of school. I was actually one of the only guitar players there that my teacher was coming to teach. He would come from the city to come teach me lessons. So it was a huge amount of pressure on me. And our lessons consisted of like getting my fear out of the equation. Like I could practice and I could study, but my level of just performance anxiety was just inhibiting for me mm -hmm. to like perform. And so I remember lessons we had where he was like, it's not about you. The biggest lesson I learned from Fred Hand, he said, it's not about you. Like. The people who want to hear your music, you're here as a doorway. If you're nervous about not being prepared, that's on you. You can control that. But the anxiety that you have about performing, about being on stage, he's like, it's not about you. 
Like it's about the music and representing like somebody else's music for the people. So you have nothing to be nervous about. And he, as he's saying these, these words, like the New York sunset is just like melting in the sky. And we both look cause it's like impossible not to look at. He's like, it's, it's that I'll remember that till, you know, it's just an amazing memory. So <laughs> coming from, the, from that, I took some time off back in Chicago. Um, I think my mom was happy cause she, she, you know, she knew what was going on. And then I kind of stumbled into Columbia college design school. And that was like a total brush of fresh air because mm -hmm. I met with the head of the department there and he also played guitar and he, he kind of knew what I was into because we sat and talked about it for a while. And he's like, I can help you. If you, through our program of product design, like we can support your interests and we can kind of explore the world of guitar making he was excited too. Right. And I was like, oh my God. Like, he's like, I'll pay you to come here because this sounds cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so amazing. It was so amazing. I mean, there are days that go by, I'm like, man, I wish I was still in studio class, like doing product design because it was so fun. I mean, it was everything that I'd, I had done. It was sketching and problem solving, studio class, and doing ideations with a class full of people, prototyping working on machining, studying CAD work and everything. It was everything that guitar making had in it. And I spent two summers doing independent studies, focusing on guitar making, and I needed a mentor. And it just so happens that Chicago is like one of the biggest centers of violin making. And mm -hmm. Michael Darton, who I ended up studying with for a long time, he was a couple blocks away. He's sort of a legendary, not just repair, like luthier repair person, but creator in that space. Yeah, yeah. He's, I don't know of a bigger genius. What he can see and what he can do with his hands, I, I'm just completely in awe. And at that point on, it was like, I want to learn as much as I can from, from him. Um, and to this day, it's like, I feel like every instrument I do, I want to make Michael proud. Like I want to have... Like I'm so far away from him, but if I were still in Chicago, I think I would take an instrument to him every time I was done and be like, tell me what you think. <laughs> and I got to work on just amazing instruments. And that kind of turned into a job with him after college because I just kept going back and kept going back. And at the time they were doing a large repair or like a rental service. So there'd, there'd just be constant setups and bridge carving and right. sound posts, like just all... And I mean, at one point, you get your hands on a violin made by like the most famous violin maker, cello, a cello, cello. Yeah. right? Um, Stradivarius, yeah. Um, which is amazing that um, your mentor, who is the person who like somebody brought this to to work on, would then turn to you and sort of like <laughs> offer you the opportunity to work on this thing, which is what, from the 1700s maybe? Yeah, 1800s? It was, um, I think it was from the 16, uh, I think it was from like 1693. Right. So this is an instrument which has been around for four centuries, Yeah, made by the most legendary like maker ever. You talked about having um, performance anxiety. <laughs> this is not performing, but when you get an instrument like that, in your hands and somebody invites you to work on it. I mean, knowing the history of it, knowing the pedigree of it, knowing the, you know, like people who have played this through decades in different settings and what this, 
what this instrument represents. Yeah. I mean, was that all spinning through your head as you sort of? It's so funny that you say that because now it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the way that I handled it is the way that Fred is what Fred was saying. Because when, and like now, now that I'm thinking about it, I definitely felt the mojo, the juju. Yeah. But I think I knew how important it was, and I didn't ask about how much it was worth or anything. I just knew what was in front of me and I knew what had to be done. And I entered the ring and I did it. And I think Michael knew the power of that moment. I think he's as great of a master he is. I think he's an even better teacher. And like, I think that's one of those moments where he knew exactly what he was doing. And the cello was always like my thing. Like. I, I was doing a lot of work on violins, but to this day, like I, I was just, my head was always in the cello. Like I was, you know, we had them open all the time and I was doing them and he always loved the bridges that I would carve. And so the period before that cello came to my bench, he would just see these bridges and he'd be like, like he was kind of mad at me. <laughs> Cause he's like, I've been doing this for 30 years and, and you've been doing it for, you know, a couple. He's like, these bridges are, he was impressed with the bridges I was carving. So he had full uh, confidence in me. I wasn't thinking that far ahead of me about confidence or anything. I was just like, okay, I can't, I can't screw this yeah. up. But in his mind, he sort of, the signal he was sending was, you're ready. Like, I trust you with an instrument like this. Yeah. And that was the transmission that was really happening in a sort of subtext level. Yeah. And it was successful. Yeah. It like went out and I don't know the, the business details, but I'm pretty sure that it sold with my setup on it. And I mean, I know my setup isn't on it now because <laughs> it changed, you know, the, that world, it changes so often. Yeah. Um, but that was a, that was a highlight. <laughs> you, I mean, you're working for him. You're learning this craft. Um, this is coming up on like 2008, 2009. We all know what happens and the recession hits. Yeah. Especially in that business. It hit it pretty hard. Yeah. Um, so you end up essentially looking for work again, but instead of saying, well, let me see who can hire me, you're like, so what happened in your brain that said, no, it, it's time for me to step out as like my own brand, my own offering. Like I am the builder and say, no, you know, it's time for, you know, like Danny, yeah. the guitar maker to actually say, I'm, like, I'm open for business as me. Well, going into the violin world, I was questioning whether I was doing the right thing because I was afraid it was going to take away from the guitar in me. Yeah. And all along, I knew it was just like fueling the fire in the most glorious way. So when it happened, we were all sitting around the shop, like kind of crying because it was like the family. It was me, Michael and Greta. We had been working together for four years and it was just really sad. We thought it was a joke. And they came in and said, you know, we have to let you guys go. And we kind of started laughing. We're like, no, we're serious. Like, you can keep showing up, but we can't pay you. And so I kept showing up for a while. <laughs> uh, but that was like, uh, you know, it, I don't want to say the cliche of things happen for a reason. But I, the way that my life has been it's hard for me to not say that because so many things have been just so like in place in a way like that happened. And then I was like, okay, like I, 
it was almost like it kind of defined my future. I like, did I, do I even have to ask the questions like, okay, no. And that's defined my instruments. The fact that I come from that world and now make archtop guitars. I feel like that makes my instruments so much more unique than the other world of archtop guitar makers. It's weird. Cause the, the archtop guitar was designed in like the earliest or the 20th century to, to, as modeled from the violin world, but it's so far, like even the beginning was so far from what actually is happening in a violin and cello. It's like the complete opposite. So I think in a really ironic way, me coming from the violin and cello world has made my instruments unique. Maybe it's because they come from like the Chicago school, right? but I'm just so grateful that's was my past and that I actually it took that path. You know, I took six years off from guitar making to study violins and cellos and, and work in that world. And little did you know all the while you were actually really studying guitar building. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I got laid off, I put every single unemployment check into, you know, like I had semi trucks coming to my mom's house, dropping off like, you know, huge machines that would just go into my basement. And it was just, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, unemployment. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So you're in Chicago. You're sort of like, you're, you're, you're building things. Everything is... You're sort of like gaining momentum, building steam, and then in the middle of this all, um, there's a big disruption. <laughs> yeah. So you pick up and move to LA. Tell me what this was about, and and also how that experience sort of like affected you, your state of mind, and what you did after that. I met my wife in 
2007. She was born in Los Angeles. And we kept toying with the idea of, of moving to the West Coast. And it came the time in like 2011, we kind of made the decision that she needed to be close to her parents. They kind of needed help. And I was just like, yeah, California, let's do it. Um, and I had started a business in Chicago. I had a storefront. Um, so things were kind of building momentum. But it was a big move. We had to get a semi-truck and fill it with machinery and tools and wood. And it was just a nightmare. So literally, I had to close my doors and move everything to get to Los Angeles. And I didn't have a workshop. I had to build a workshop. That's where we are now. Uh, and that took a long time. It took from when we decided to move to when my workshop was completed, it was maybe two years. So I wasn't really working, but that time off was just instrumental in everything. It, uh, I feel like not being allowed to work in my shop led me to re-digest everything I had done. Like I went back to the drawing board and reconfigured everything to where I thought it should be. I felt like I was doing work that it wasn't subpar, but it wasn't truly me. It wasn't what I'd truly learned from the violin shop. It was the stuff that I did after getting off from the violin shop and working was just like, okay, I got to do this. But now the time off was like this reset where I could throw everything on a blackboard and look at it from the ground up and redesign it in a sense that was like truly where I wanted to be. And so that time off was like the most amazing thing for my work. Yeah, it's sort of that that incubation period that, um, I mean, it's interesting because I think ordinarily we never allow ourselves that. It's sort of like heads down, pay the rent, like do the thing that we're here to do. And every once in a while, we'll carve out a heartbeat to step outside of like working in the business to work on the business or the craft or like, the, you know, the pursuit of mastery, whatever it may be. But it's like those pauses, inevitably, whether they're imposed because we want to or just because of circumstance. Like if yeah. if we look at them as as windows of opportunity, which isn't always easy to do. No, you know. But if we if we have the ability to do that, they can be transformational. And it it was my instruments were, I I kind of threw out everything and started over again. Mm. And it's hard to do that when you're in the flow, right? Yeah. Did people, two questions, I guess, were the instruments that you were making after that window in your mind meaningfully different? And if the answer to that is yes, did people other than you notice? I think the answer is yes, but I, th <laughs> I think I might be the only one to notice unless... I don't think anybody would notice unless they had a really close connection to instruments of my past and instruments to my mm. future. Um, I have clients with multiple instruments, but I don't think they span that, that switch. Mm. Um, for me, it's night and day. I feel like the instruments I was doing before had connections to other people and other designs. And when I redesigned everything, it was like purely original. It was all for me. So it's 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 like there's the before and the, the same way that you had that point of demarcation when your dad passes, there's like life before and life after. It seems like this was a similar thing in terms of 
your craft and what you ended up stepping into and saying like, this is now like, this is a hundred percent. This is all Danny. Yeah. Um, and this is like the, a much fuller expression of who I am, what I believe and what I make. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I love what I did. When, um, you decide to start building on your own, um, you have a certain amount of chops as a natural guitar maker at that point or an instrument maker. And, but on the business side of things, I'm curious what it was like for you to step into that mode. Because especially as somebody who is so heads down, so devoted to, and so nourished purely by the process of the craft and the artistry and, and the building side of it, to then also sort of like do the dance and say, okay, so now I have to support myself and maybe eventually a family Yeah, doing this um, can be pretty crushing for some people coming from the background that you came from. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, I mean, the hardest part for me was definitely figuring out how to balance the business and the art. And I still try to figure that out. It's, it's a constant thing. It's, it's not a field where, you know, you have a plethora of funds coming in, you know, and it's a challenge. It's a challenge because for me as a builder, I feel like I'm always going down the wormhole. I'm always going extra far to dive to to make an instrument to that better represents the person I'm working for but at the same time I'm the project is getting more time and more energy and I don't make money for that but I that's the importance of of the craft for me in the end it's always rewarded me in the end my instruments are always my marketing are always like I don't pay for for marketing anymore because I found that was just a waste of money. It's the instruments that I put out. And so there's, it's a very challenging business. And I feel like it, you have to ride that the middle, like really hard because you don't want to be too much of a business where you lose, you lose the mystical art. I feel like that needs to, to be the leading runner. And as long as you can keep it going, the business is there. And that's, I think, the model for me that that's the true model f for my business. It's also me gaining self-confidence. I think ever since then, it's like, okay, this is what I can now charge for my work. It's, it's, it's at this level. The self-confidence thing was a big deal. When I first got laid off, I was just trying to get out there. And everybody, my old bosses, were like, you have no business selling your guitars what you're doing, you cannot do this. You're just burying yourself into a hole. And they were right. But at the same time, I needed to do that to get instruments out. So I think there's many different ways to go down, you know, to go through the business. And you see it now with so many guitar makers out there doing different things. And this is the way that I choose because the art side of it is so important to me uh, and the connecting between myself and another person is the realness for me. Like it's a natural thing that I only, I have like maybe two years out of orders and I'm, that's amazing. And I feel like that's a natural border because nobody really wants to wait longer than right. that, but it's always been two years. It's always been there. So I can sit and stress out about what's going to happen after two years from now. But if I have the confidence and know that if I just do the work and do the good work, it's going to be there. 
And so that's kind of been my viewpoint is to just focus on on now. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting also because you, what you do and who, who you serve is the diametric opposite of so much of what we're told we have to do and who we have to serve to quote succeed in the world of having our own business, especially these days for people who are entrepreneurs or founders or craft people or professionals, which is that, you know, you're always told it's all about scale, you know, and it's all about taking like your knowledge and selling that. And, and, and for some people, if that in fact is the thing that, that Jones is them awesome, do it. But I mean, the fascinating thing, is the work that you do is the exact opposite of scale. Like by definition, you're creating something which is intensely artistic and unique and bespoke. And, you know, that is the beautiful thing about that is that it's, you don't need, this is not about scale. This is about a microcosm of people who want and can pay you and yeah. love what you create and will wait two years to get it. You know, it's a handful of people in the entire universe. It is. that That's all you need for you to basically sit here and do the thing that you wake up in the morning and just love to do. That's, that's it. It's not about, I mean, you know, the thought goes through my head about, you know, what I would do with, with more money, <laughs> you know, like maybe I'd hire a nanny, <laughs> but yeah, it's like I said, it's a balance because you do need the money to support a family, to pay for daycare, to pay for living in Los Angeles, which, which isn't cheap, but everybody I talk to who is, you know, successful doing this who, you know, and they've been doing it for a long time and maybe they're towards, you know, the ends of, of the their career, they say, well, is, you know, if you can afford to keep doing it, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy when I, when I work, that's the happiest, you know, for me, like being able to do what I'm doing is like my Zen. It's my meditation. I'm working on the other aspect of my life when I'm not working to do those meditations to balance that off because doing this type of work while living in Los Angeles with a young family, you know, that's, it's stressful. And so that's a real challenge that I face that I um, am working on now. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's always dynamic. This has been, you know, the source of constant flow and constant happiness, but, but it's not all, it's not all glory because, you yeah. know, I've made every single mistake in the book. There are days where my wife, Anjali, she's like, I just, I can't talk to you until you figure this out. You know, like what I'll come in to like what happened. And so it's about making every single mistake in the book. And now I'm at the point where I know not to freak out as much as I usually do because I've gone through the mistakes and those are all those mistakes are also what makes things great i think so learning how to to ride the wave and to you know be open and yeah <laughs> it's funny as you're saying that um that conversation i had years ago with somebody kind of down the road from here three hours down the road from here in san diego bob taylor 
who took the other path. You know, he has, he's, he, I, I toured their campus with seven buildings and yeah. they are, I think the world's largest handmade guitar builder right now, like a massive volume, massive scale. And this was before I had learned to make my first guitar. And I told Bob, I really wanted to do this. And I was just waiting for like the right moment to go and work with a builder to teach me how. And he's like, don't do that. It's like, just make one really bad guitar. And then another, and then another, and another. He's like, you will learn more by doing that, like by making the mistakes yourself and then understanding why the process is what it is and how to do it differently in the future. Then you'll ever learn by following it, somebody else's sort of like instructions um, and doing it. That doesn't mean it's fun or easy along the way Yeah. while you're stumbling and falling on your face. And especially when you make the decision that, you know, this is also going to be not just my devotion, but my living. You know, and I think what you, what you said is just so poignant in that I think for a lot of people who make that choice, there almost is no there there. It's just a constant dance of trying to figure out how do I honor this thing that's inside of me that has to get out? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, honor the commitments that I feel I've made to my family and to my community and stuff like this. And um, sometimes we do a great job and sometimes not so much. And hopefully over time, yeah, you have, know, it, it, it gets better and better. We have good days and we have, we have bad yeah. days. But at the end of the day, I mean, sitting here with you now in this workshop is, you know, the sun is streaming through the window, the lights are low, having conversation, taking in like this just rich texture that's all around us and knowing that you're doing this thing now for, you know, about a dozen years now, sort of like on your own and creating these instruments where again, it's like you're putting your soul into it. You're expressing who you are. And at the same time, we talked about the fact that each piece that goes out is sort of a, a representation of you and your legacy, but you know, like, and coming full circle, it's really, this is you working alongside with your dad and each instrument also is it's you and him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just pointing the pictures of his dad right in the uh, workshop right there. So it's like this is, to a certain extent, your this is your artistry, but also your way of keeping both you and him alive together. Yeah, amen. Yeah. I, I just I couldn't I couldn't do anything else. I feel like I would just be miserable if I did something else. Um, yeah, I would. It would have to be. <sighs> The only greater thing I can think of is doing something with, with my kids. That would be a new chapter or something. Um, but but my mind would always be in this space. Mm. <laughs> Maybe that's the ultimate answer to scale, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, kids. Well, so, so my daughter works in here, and she's amazing because she'll sit, and she has the focus of it's amazing. She can sit at a bench for an hour and just work. My son, on the other hand, is just he'll go around and and you need to watch him at every like I don't allow him in the shop basically, but we named my son after my dad Kurt, and he's so me that it's annoying, like I really see a new window into my past, in a kind of a scary way, but I have a lot of uh, I I just think that I'll be working with somebody named Kurt you know in the future which is just a, a kind of a dream come true. I'm not going to pressure him, but 
you know, I have a strong feeling towards that. It's just, it would be a dream come true. Yeah, a little foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like a good place for us to come full circle, too. So sitting here in your workshop in the temporary container of a good life project, if I offer up the phrase, to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life, I think, means having both feet in this time, like in now, having incredible patience and honesty in this moment. Because I think the past is what makes you, but it's it's the present moment that defines who you are and we're not promised anything. You know, tomorrow you, we may not be here and we don't know. And that's what matters, to love yourself, to have self-confidence. And if there's anything to leave behind, it's leave nothing but happiness and inspiration for other people. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Com, or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time. <laughs>